Hi, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a brand new episode of Opera After Dark. Felix, Felix, Felix. Ugh, I'm just looking at this picture that Naomi has pulled up of Felix Mendelssohn, and he had a very unfortunate neck beard. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it so funny that people, like, they just wanted the beard so bad at that time that uh, they just, they did it, whether or not it was a good beard? We can do a whole episode of facial hair throughout the age. Oh. Right, with accompanying but- slides. With a camping uh, slideshow. The really weird thing about Felix Mendelssohn is that it looks like he like shaved the front of his face. And so it's literally so it just literally like is a neck beard. Chin so he was trying. And then his neck. He was Maybe that was the style. Maybe, Maybe he was perpetually cold. I I bet that was one of those things. You know how certain things catch on uh, first because like somebody does it because they have no option. Like, I'm sure somebody, that was the only beard they could grow, but then they were just a cool person. So people were like, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna shape my beard to be a disgusting neck beard. <laughs> I mean, if he created on. a trend, then he, you right. know. That's true. That's yeah. true. Um, so we are talking about Felix Mendelssohn <laughs> today. I'm just uh, saying composer. today, today people, if, if you can't grow a beard, I just feel like you don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah. Just, just don't do it. I mean, he can grow it. It's full and bushy. Anyway. Um, <laughs> he's a composer. He's a composer, brother to the wonderful Fanny, who we talked about last week. So go listen to that episode if you haven't already. Um, so, Naomi, let's just dive in. Tell us a little something about Felix, who I think is an asshole, but go on. Well, he was, <laughs> well, he was okay. born in 1807. No, 1809. I was... Correction to last week. Dang it. 1809. <laughs> So he's even younger. Can't than, catch a break, Kyle. I know. He's four years younger than <laughs> Fanny. so hard for me to steal information when it's <laughs> inaccurate. Uh, it was my fault. It was my fault. Yeah. Um, so, again, just like Fanny, he's born into this like fairly wealthy family where they um, converted to Protestantism. They were Lutherans. And he basically took piano lessons and composition lessons from the best of the best of the best. Uh, Both he and Fanny were actually part of the Berlin Zing Academy, which was like a newly founded conservatory in Berlin when they were young. Nice. And he, but because he was a man and she was a woman, uh, Felix was the one who got to kind of travel and Mm -hmm. extensively and go on several kind of 
you know, European tours as a composer and performer to show off his abilities. Um, but he is very established as a composer, but he also, like Fanny, worked very hard to bring back the works of Johann Sebastian Bach. Um, he particularly loved Bach, and he actually conducted the St. Matthew's Passion in right, 1829. Right. Hmm. And this was considered like the defining moment that brought the works of J.S. Bach back into like public consciousness huh. and popularity at this time. Never to leave again. Yes, precisely. That's uh, true. That St. Matthew Passion especially. Mm-hmm. That thing gets trotted out. I know. Right? Every Easter. <laughs> yeah. And everybody's like, yes. oh, have you heard the St. Matthew's Passion? <laughs> it's yes. just, uh Which is, it's good. I mean, it's good. But it's the, good. It, it becomes, mean, yeah. Yeah, right. you know, becomes a little bit tired just when mm-hmm. it happens all the time. Mm-hmm. And people make a huge effing deal every single time. Yes, I do like do. that Jesus is a base. Mm, I did not know that. About <laughs> I feel the... like that's unexpected. I agree. Mm-hmm. I like that too. Anyway, moving on. So he traveled extensively. He actually went to Britain 10 different times or on 10 different trips. And hmm. it like held a very uh, special place in his heart. He composed a lot in Britain because he was so inspired by like the landscape. And he loved Scotland. So Who doesn't? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> So he composed his, I think it's the Hebrides. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, the Hebrides Overture uh, in Scotland because he was so inspired by the landscape. And he actually wrote a letter to Fanny where he was like, I'm overcome with inspiration by the Hebrides. And he like wrote into the letter his musical ideas for the overture. Um, Didn't he do a fair amount of choral stuff? He did do a lot of choral things. For some reason, I was under the interpretation that, or the understanding that when he was big into choral stuff and, and doing some new choral stuff, that was a little bit more unique for like mainstay composers at the time, or like mainstream composers. Yeah, I mean, he certainly, I would say he considered himself more of like a traditionalist mm-hmm. and you know, he was kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum from people like Berlioz of that time who were doing like very experimental things and like um, for that time period. Berlioz was crazy. (laughs) Yeah, Berlioz was crazy. (laughs) Um, But apparently Mendelssohn, Felix Mendelssohn did write several operas. Hmm. Um, They've never seen the light of day today. And he was very young when he wrote them. I wonder if they're total shit. Maybe. We'll, We'll look for some recordings and if we can find one we'll play it for you Thank you. 
he also met Goethe just like his sister did. He was considered a musical prodigy. Um, he and Goethe became really good friends. He studied with Zelter, who I think was like a, a student of J.S. Box. There's lots of connections there. And he became really well known as a conductor, actually, in addition to his composing. And so he actually conducted Don Giovanni and he did a couple of other things. And I remember reading somewhere that Wagner actually wrote to him once and asked him to conduct one of his works. Dang. But it's so weird to think of Mendelssohn and Wagner being of the same time period. I know. (laughs) Um. He founded the Leipzig Conservatory, so hugely important there. Mendelssohn did? And Mendelssohn did, and he lived in Leipzig for quite some time. His house where he lived is still there. It's a museum now for the Mendelssohns. You can go and visit Um, the room where he composed. Have you been, Naomi? Yeah, I've been. Nice. <laughs> of course um, you have. The room where he, what was his like study and com- composing room was, is still basically intact exactly as it was when he lived there. Wow. The room where it happened. Yeah, it has this like crazy striped carpet floor. And um, the other thing that most people don't know about Mendelssohn was in addition to being composer, conductor, a performer, well-known musician, he was a very accomplished watercolor painter. Uh And so it was like part of what he did in his spare time was he would like do watercolor paintings. So his house in Leipzig is like full of his paintings in addition to um, his music and, and kind of artifacts of his life. He was also very interested in the music of Schubert and um, and he was friends with the Schumanns. So kind of like, really big part of Leipzig life and oh right the 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 fun stuff so that's his his life important composer (laughs) right but should we listen to something a famous thing that he composed yeah let's listen well I feel like have we listened to the Hebrides overture yet no no we should listen to that Mendelssohn has an interesting little bit to talk about related to his love life. Um, Wait, he was married, right? He was married. So essentially, uh, he was at a church service of some kind, and he got very distracted by a 16-year-old soprano in the choir. (laughs) Um, And he described her as having... That's like today. That would be really bad. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> he described her as having luxurious golden brown hair, a complexion of transparent delicacy in the most bewitching deep blue eyes with dark eyelashes and dark eyebrows. The young lady in question was Cécile Charlotte Sophie Jean Renault, and she was the daughter of a minister. Uh, but she was apparently just like absolutely stunning and kind of all reports and descriptions of her uh, within her lifetime talked about her being like a one of the most striking beautiful women in all of Leipzig and two days after meeting her Mendelssohn had to then leave to go on continue with his tour and you know do musical composery things mm -hmm. and he tried to like put her from his mind but he couldn't and so he ends up going back and they start um courting and then I think he saw her at a church service in Dusseldorf, so that was where she was living. Oh, what, what, happens, what happens in Dusseldorf, right? <laughs> Stays with 16-year-olds. Oh, right. gosh. Um, <clears throat> so he hoped that he would, you know, forget about her, but she had made such an impression on him that he goes back. As soon as he can, he starts courting her. He writes to his family saying that he had met the most wunderschönen Mädchen. <laughs> 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 what the, was it? The most, the most beautiful woman. Was it in um, der Wunderschönen Monat Mai? Maybe. Ooh. Oh, in the, in well done. Month of May. Well, actually, it was. Oh, it was. My it says, gosh. Kyle, on look May fourth. Nice. Yeah. Nailing it. Okay. May, anyway, May the fourth be with them. On May the fourth. So he. Is in love with a child. They start courting. <laughs> They're courting. Uh, th so he first sees her on May 4th. He was actually conducting this choral thing where he saw uh, her. Always. Um, mm -hmm. And then by June 7th, they were engaged. Oh. <gasps> yeah. Uh-oh. Yeah. I feel like something bad's about to happen. But they didn't get no, no, married, no. right? Okay. No, they did get married. They oh. got married. Oh, this um, is his wife. This is his wife, Cecile. Oh, my bad. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Cecile Jean Renault. And so they get married and they end up moving eventually to Leipzig where he founds this conservatory. She was known as having a very gentle manner, um, was kind of soft-spoken and very calm. And apparently Felix was like prone to like very temperamental moods and he was could be extremely gregarious or he could be kind of like irritable. Mm -hmm. And so she was known as this like extremely calming force on him. And so by all accounts, they had this wonderful marriage. Um, but and he actually wrote for her there was one point where she left for a two month holiday or something or a two week holiday uh, shortly after they met and he was so had such a hard time being away from her for two weeks that he wrote um, this piano piece called Duet Una Verta or you know Duet Without Words and it's like an instrumental love duet that <laughs> is supposed to symbolize them so we should listen to a little bit sure of that
have five children together. They're very, very happy. And, but then uh, by 1843, Felix is kind of at the pinnacle of his career and he ends up going to a performance of some kind where he sees for the first time the soprano Jenny Lind. Oh, man. Um, she was a Swedish soprano. She was very popular. And essentially, as soon as he met her or saw, saw her perform, Felix became just like obsessed with Jenny Lind. If anyone's seen that really horrible Hugh Jackman movie, The Greatest Showman, the character <laughs> the character of Jenny Lind is in that. Really? Oh. She has a whole song. She doesn't sing operatically, but whatever. Well, is that she when that movie a- takes place at the same time period? I haven't seen it. Yeah, because it's about uh, P.T. Barnum. Oh, gotcha. Huh. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. So this Moving was on. In he October, has the hops for someone else. Right. In October of 1844, he sees her perform. He becomes obsessed with her. He started going to, like, all of her performances. He became, like, a Jenny Lind groupie. Oh, no. And he wrote in his letters, uh, Jenny Lind has fairly enchanted me. She is unique in her way, and her song with two concertate flutes is perhaps the most incredible feat in the way of bravura singing that can possibly be heard. I have not in my life met such a noble, genuine, true artist as Jenny Lind. I have nowhere found such natural capacity, study, and deep sensibility so perfectly united. Okay. So he loved, he was so obsessed with her that he wrote the soprano solo in his oratorio, Elijah, for her. Oh. Yeah. And then he even talked about writing an opera for her entitled Lorelei, but that never happened <laughs> or it was never completed. Doesn't he have a song called Lorelei? Possibly. Yeah. yeah. So very obsessed with her. Um, and a, so there is this letter that apparently he wrote asking her to run away with him to America. Okay. Whoa. How many kids does he have? He has five kids with Cecile mm-hmm. by this point. That is very so, irresponsible. So it never happened. and Why not? I don't know why, but we, we can't find out why because the Mendelssohn Scholarship Foundation, um, there was an affidavit that was issued <laughs> where um, basically Jenny Lynn's husband, Otto Goldschmidt, destroyed this letter. And so he never wanted it to see the light of day. And like scholars have written to the Mendelssohn Scholarship Foundation. They've written to other places to try and get a hold of like information about this and, you know, whatever information they have about their relationship. Uh, But apparently like both families have just tried to almost like obliterate this from the historical record. So we actually don't know for sure if it's true or the details. It's all kind of just like hearsay and legend. Um, but it's probably but, true. Where there's smoke, there's fire, right? <laughs> yeah. And I bet he definitely wrote it. I mean, yeah. whether she wanted... like, It sounds like something that is theoretically possible because he, he did write openly about how much he adored her as a singer. And um, a, I think this was around the time or close to the time that Fanny died. And so, mm. like, he had lost his sister and, like, tumultuous emotional time for him. He falls in love with this other woman. Uh, and apparently in the letter, he threatened suicide if she didn't run away with him. Oh, That's cool. What, so he's right. emotionally blackmailing her. That's cool. Right. Good right. for him. Um, <laughs> you got to use what I you guess. got. And so <laughs> the idea is, or the, the general belief is that Jenny Lind was the one who like rejected him and said, you can't do that. So nothing happened. He died not that 
long after, right? And so upon Mendelssohn's death, Mm -hmm. Jenny Lind wrote, he was the only person who brought fulfillment to my spirit. And almost as soon as I found him, I lost him again. Yeah, they totally hooked up. I'm I'm calling that. So we'll play out to this string quartet in F minor that supposedly is a musical expression of this tumultuous time in his life so that you can hear a little bit of that. Uh, But before we do that, uh, definitely check us out on all the social media things. Twitter, Facebook, please leave us a wonderful review in iTunes. Please. Or wherever wherever else you listen to your podcasts, as long as it's nice. That's right. And we'll catch you next week. I'm Kyle. I'm Elspeth. I'm Naomi. Bye. Thank mm-hmm. you.